You are now listening to the Here for the Truth podcast, hosted by Joel Rafidi and Erasmus Stylianessis. All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to episode 59 of the Here for the Truth podcast. I'm Joel Rafidi. I've got my co-host here, as always, Erasmus. On this episode, it's this is quite a loaded, charged, controversial topic. Um, we dive deep specifically on circumcision. But just before we get to that with Dr. Elizabeth Perry, um, our Rise Above the Herd private group coaching program is now taking applications. The doors are open. We begin March 28. We've got loads of applications coming through. So if you're interested in reclaiming your power as an individual, um, stepping out of mediocrity, really getting clear about who you are, what you value, what your goals are, and how to take grounded, realistic actions to be the best version of yourself, then you might want to consider applying for this course. We're taking 15 people only. All our episodes, as always, can be found at hereforthetruth.com. Our Telegram community is popping off these days, so please join us on Telegram. The link will be in the show notes, or it's at truth. if you just want to search for it. Um, Enjoy this episode, guys. All right, Dr. Elizabeth Perry. Mm, how's that sound? Dr. Elizabeth Perry holds her PhD in depth psychology with an emphasis in somatic studies from Pacifica Graduate Institute. She specializes in working with the bi-directional communication between mind and body, also known as trauma healing. She is a somatic experiencing practitioner certified through the Trauma Institute. She holds multiple yoga certifications and led the yoga therapy and trauma healing program at Sober College for over five years. Elizabeth is a dancer turned yogi living in Santa Monica. She loves to hike and spend time outside with her best teachers, her sons, River and Max. Her dissertation, What Mother Knows, a depth psychological study of the American circumcision decision lends the hearts and voices of mothers the most controversial surgery taking place in America. Dr. Perry, welcome to Here for the Truth. Thank you so much, Joel. I'm really happy to be here. And I'm especially happy to be talking about circumcision. Yes, it's a loaded, controversial and interesting subject. And we're very happy to be talking about it as well and hopefully bringing some new perspectives to our listeners and shedding some lights on, I guess, this, this particular highly controversial surgery. So can you give us a bit of a backstory? And I guess, just tell us briefly a summation of your journey, what led you to this particular topic, and ultimately, I guess, getting a PhD? Um, yeah, so my story is that I got pregnant when I was 32 years old. Right now, I'm 45. So I feel like I've been studying circumcision now for this time since I 13 years, you know, I just keep learning more and more and more about it because like you said, it is so loaded, so controversial and people don't want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, so my son's father was Jewish and it was just a given that we would circumcise our boy. And I loved his dad so much that I, agreed with that and thought, yeah, this is just what we're going to do. But um, I'm one of those people that I research and I look into everything. And the more I looked, the more I didn't want to look. 
And it started creating some really big problems in my relationship. And it even came down to a feeling like I'm either going to circumcise this child and keep my family and my relationship intact and together, or I'm literally going to save my son and destroy the interpersonal relationship that I had with my partner at the time and end up raising my son in a broken home, which for me was like a worst case nightmare situation. But I started to feel that the circumcision was actually an even worse case situation. It was so bad that at one point I actually stopped researching and I said, you know what, I'm just going to do it because I really want my family to be together. And I was at a birthing class and the nurse looked around and said, and who has thought about circumcision? Who is going to do it? And I actually raised my hand that I was going to have that done for my son, but I burst into tears and I was like, I just don't want to do it. This doesn't feel right. And that, um, that birthing teacher looked at me with so much compassion and so much love. And I took that drop of love home and I never let it go. <clears throat> so the bottom line is, <laughs> I have two sons and neither of them are circumcised. Um, that, that first relationship did fall apart. But what I learned is that when a woman becomes pregnant, she, she's not just birthing a child. She's also birthing herself as a mother. So the more conscious that we become, and that was what was happening with me, I was becoming more and more conscious about choices that I could make or not make. And it really does set a tone for the whole motherhood journey. And as much as it's been really, really hard, I'm so glad that I found this journey. And then my second son is born nine and a half years later. And so his dad is also Jewish. <laughs> I remember when I first started dating him and he told me, I think it was on the second date, he told me he was Jewish. And I go, oh no, then I can't date you because this whole thing about circumcision, I had my first son and the whole family wanted him circumcised and I didn't and it caused such an uproar. I don't want to go through it again. And he goes, um, well, can I look into it before you break up with me? So I said, uh, yeah, you mean you actually want to look into it? That seemed pretty rare at the time because no one wanted to talk about it with me. So I referred him to a YouTube video, Circumcision, the Elephant in the Hospital, and he watched it and it shows a video of a circumcision. And he said, if we date long-term and did want to have a family together, we absolutely would not have to do that. So that brought me enough relief to be able to date him. But I got to tell you something that was really interesting that I went through. My first son, that family wanted me to have the Max, my first son circumcised so badly that I was actually visiting that whole side of the family in Florida when my son was two. And his grandpa on Thanksgiving day just started screaming at me out of nowhere. And it was like this loud New Yorker fury and rage. He's like, he said, Elizabeth, I'm still pissed. 
that you didn't have them circumcised. You know, this is my family. This is our lineage. This is our religion. And you're blocking that. He's not able to be Jewish because you didn't let him be circumcised. And that actually was a catalyst for me looking further into circumcision because what I discovered was that you actually can be Jewish and not be circumcised. And according to the covenants and a lot of the Jewish uh, teachings, that's based on if the mother is Jewish. And since I'm not Jewish, you know, there's other reasons why my son actually isn't Jewish, even though we completely honor the whole Jewish side of the family. And I, there's just so much about Judaism that I love. But what's interesting, that grandfather got cancer. And before he died, he called me to apologize. And oh. our last conversation was of all things, it was about circumcision. And it was one of the most beautiful conversations I ever had in my whole entire life. So yeah, like you said, it is loaded. It's controversial and it's super mysterious. Do you want me to explain the background? Well, of please. well yeah, yeah, my next question was gonna be, can you talk about the background? Can you talk about the history, like how it's evolved over the years, even from like a, like a religious or medical standpoint, et cetera? Sure, yeah, because the history of circumcision is actually super mysterious and the inception of circumcision is not fully understood, but here's what we do understand. We understand that circumcision began as a way to humiliate slaves and to make fun of them. And then it evolved into this demonization of the foreskin. So it, it, it kind of became medical. People think that it began with Judaism, but that's actually not the case at all. Mm -hmm. So um, the medicalization of circumcision was that if you have tuberculosis or addiction or actually any disease and you weren't circumcised, they would blame your foreskin as the reason why you're having an issue. So it just became a time of radically circumcising one after the next after the next. And then circumcisions also became associated with a cleaner, um, more prestigious hospitalized birth versus like a cheaper home birth with a midwife. So it was really looked up upon, but then eventually people realized, oh, he's addicted to drugs and he's circumcised. So obviously we can't blame the foreskin on everything anymore. But what's happened moving into present day um, you know, there's obviously the the religious pieces, which I, we can talk about that more in a second, but um, circumcision is a really big business. And what people don't realize is that foreskins are sold to biomedical communities and one single foreskin can be worth over a hundred thousand or gosh, or even maybe a hundred million dollars. I don't know if you want to look that up. I can't remember the amount, but I remember feeling so shocked to see that the foreskins are being used to for skin grafts and to make um, all sorts of different face lotions and creams and things from um, these biomedical labs and communities. And the thing is, is if you have a baby in a hospital, the way the circumcision takes place, and I'm, I'm gonna give you an example, and this is really how it is, it's like, Oh, are you hungry? Do you want a sandwich? Do you want a side of fries? Oh, do you want a circumcision? And it's just thrown in there like it's nothing. Yeah. And 
And it's so much, it, I mean, oh, um, I um, did a, a research study with eight mothers and this one mother, she goes, well, yeah, I mean, I signed the papers, but when the, the child came back with this um, blank face and she goes, I didn't know that there would be blood. You know, she just had no idea that it would be super traumatic and painful, not only for her baby, but also for her. And then um, religiously, it's interesting because there's like so many teachings in the Bible, for example, that say uh, circumcision is symbolic, it's of the heart, and then it can be taken literally. But um, like Mormonism, for example, they have a super high rate uh, for circumcising their babies, but there's no teaching that says that's what they should do. It's just they're just blindly doing it in many cases, thinking maybe it's healthy, it's cleaner. And then that healthier and cleaner thing, I don't know if you guys know about Bill Gates in um, South Africa. He actually funded a huge program to just go have tons of men circumcised, hoping that that would lower the HIV rate. Mm -hmm. And then that rate actually increased rather than decreasing. And um, so sometimes people try to base a positive benefit on circumcision on one study with like a pretty small sample size, but there's actually no, there's, there's really nothing. There's no sustenance that shows or portrays that it's a good or positive thing that we're doing to boys. I remember watching American Circumcision, the documentary that came out a few years ago, and I was posting a lot about it back then. And correct me if I'm wrong, I, I'm assuming you've seen it, that like every decade they would just come up with a new reason of like what's the reason to circumcise, you know, whether it's cleanliness, whether it's to reduce the incidence of penile cancer, whether it's HIV, like you mentioned, et cetera. And it's like, they keep coming to this, these, these new reasons why, and though we're at the present day. And do you know what the, the percentage of newborn baby boys in this country now in 2020, 21 or whatever, like what's the percentage now relative to say 10 years ago or 20 years ago, if you have, if you know any of that information, even just generally speaking. Yeah, so the rate is lower than it was 10 years ago and it is at about 50-50 now. Gotcha. But what is interesting to me is that most babies are circumcised during the birth hospitalization. And in my research study, one of the findings that came out was that there's problems with consent. After a woman has birthed a baby, you know, it's kind of like running a marathon, but on crack, you know, like way harder than that. And um, it's just not a good time to have an elective surgery and for a mother to learn about what that entails and to consent to that for her child. And um, without I, actually real informed consent. So they're, they're not, they're not giving you the full information, but then they're being like, Hey, you want a sandwich? You want this? I know you're like tired. You've been, maybe you had these extra drugs and you went through this 30 hour process. Oh, by the way, can we do this? Okay, great. Thanks. Yeah. And I told my doctor, don't even ask about the circumcision. And he still did, you know, I was prepared for that 
and, and I knew I didn't want that to be part of my birth story when the baby was born. And he still did. Like he just, and I said to him, would you do that to him if he was a girl? And he goes, oh, absolutely not. No way. And I said, well, then I think he should be afforded the same right as a little girl would. Can you talk about that too? Like why there's like such outrage over obviously female genetic cutting. I don't know what the exact technical term is um, around that. And, and, and let's say here in the US, I know there's different parts of the world that still you know practice that versus the fact that, yeah, totally okay to, to you know, I use the term genetically, yeah, to cut a, a, a male, a baby boy. Well, you're asking most, if you think about FGM, female genital mutilation, in some cultures that happens to a woman when she's old enough to consent. Maybe she's 13, 14, 15, or maybe she's 22. And if that's part of the culture and you can't get a husband unless mm -hmm. you consent to that, and that's truly what you want, it's a whole different story. Yeah. I, I mean, it's hard to understand. Um, there's a video of a woman who chose circumcision for herself in adulthood, and she loves it. She feels so happy and proud that that's what she has and the um the cultural i guess you call it rights that she's afforded because she is circumcised but again it's her choice yeah and i think once you get to a certain age i think this is where the controversy lies is like you have a a baby who's you know obviously not at an age to make their own decisions and and it's a decision that's imposed upon them um, so maybe you can talk a little bit about that and even what you found in your research, because there's, there's so many different, um, views and opinions on this. And, you know, we're not here to demonize parents for the decision they made, because a lot of it comes down to information and understanding. And just like everything else we see in the, in the world and what's been going on the last couple of years, it comes down to knowledge, true knowledge and information to make a decision that you feel is appropriate. Now you're getting information from different sides that are promoting different things. So, I'm curious if you could talk about that in relationship to the circumcision decision. Absolutely. Well, you said something that I really want to highlight. You said we don't want to demonize parents. And that's the thing. It is so difficult. You know, when you have a, a baby, there's so many changes hormonally, physically, aesthetically, financially, emotionally, and it can be super overwhelming. And so Admittedly, you need to know about this, 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 this. And circumcision is just one item on this huge list. So it, it is really hard. And with the way society silences and suppresses people in general, but especially women, you know, due to whether it's patriarchal hegemony or just shame over talking about genital organs you know, to speak up about circumcision might feel like I'm talking about sex. And for me, like I grew up in the Christian South where we don't talk about sex. So, you know, that's one piece. But then um, the part about the baby not being able to consent, that's what really gets me personally, because um, there was this great study done and it was kind of an under the table study because the hospital would not even allow this study to be performed, but I find it to be the most interesting one because uh -huh. what they did, you know, this, the brain scan. Yeah. Yeah. So 
when the baby's born, they do an MRI and they scan the brain. Then they do the circumcision and they scan the brain again. And basically all the trauma centers are lit up in the brain. And the, what this doctor was trying to understand is do the trauma effects of circumcision last or is it temporary and it kind of goes away with this nonverbal communication, preverbal memory, whatever. And so with every scan he did, like immediately, it was like maybe an hour later, a week later, a month later, and those trauma centers remained lit up forever. Mm -hmm showing that circumcision created lasting permanent trauma for that baby boy and man. Yeah, I remember reading that um, an article on that as well. And can you, because I, I read, uh, or at least I started reading uh, Dr. Ronald Goldman's book, Circumcision, Hidden Trauma. Can you talk a little bit about the psychological impacts of, of circumcision? Oh, absolutely. Well, one thing Dr. Goldman talks about is um, the way circumcision affects attachment styles and how it can create an anxious attachment, for example. And the thing is, is that the attachment style that a baby has with their mother and their caregivers, it forms a blueprint for the attachment style that that baby man and boy will have for the rest of their lives. So if you end up with like an anxious and avoidant attachment style as a baby, that can show up later in your marriage. And um, well, Dr. Goldman and some, and some other people are, talk about how when this trauma remains unconscious, we keep passing it down to generation after generation after generation. And that's why I just want to talk about it. And even just being here right now, talking with you, Eurasimos, and you, Joel, for me is healing because mm -hmm. I had so many men tell me they don't want to talk about it. You know, it's, it's almost like circumcision is, it's hidden behind a brick wall. And in my research study, they kept talking about this brick wall, this brick wall, and how there's so many people that won't even consider a conversation mm -hmm. about it. It's done it's fine, it's done. So just by talking about it, we're already starting to heal some of these wounds, even including the attachment wounds. It's so weird, isn't it? Because it just, when you look at it for face value, it just seems like something that is so irrational and almost, you mean, medieval, so to speak, yet it's almost like completely ignored as if we shouldn't even be addressing it at all. Like, it just doesn't make any sense on, on, on any level why this is still a thing you know um i can't even wrap my head around why the foreskin was demonized in the first place and why that's still a thing in in, in our modern society well real quickly i, I want to comment on that and let me know if you came across this in your research because you brought up how it like as far as we know it started to humiliate slaves and i've heard different people you know people who are independent researchers talk about how like obviously what you know what that doctor came up with the study where it 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 lit up a person's trauma centers in the brain that if you're looking to control or keep, keeps put someone into a fight or flight state, then, you know, prevent doing this act to them, you know, is going to put them in a traumatized state. And when someone's traumatized, they're more likely to look to an external authority for the answers because they're in that place. So it's interesting just to think about, mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm curious your thoughts on that. I think about that stuff too. It didn't actually come up in my study. 
Okay. But because my study is a depth psychological study, I, I feel like I did touch into it because I talk about the wounded masculine. And, you know, if you look at like the Me Too movement and, you know, what we want, this beautiful, healthy example of what it is to be a man, but yet we are violently traumatizing these boys. I, I mean, I, yeah, it yeah. doesn't make any sense. And then there's so many moms who say, oh, I just left that decision up to my husband or to the dad. And I'm like, but you are the mom. And they're like, oh, but I don't have a penis. So I'm going to just bring in the image within the image. So when the mother is pregnant, hey, hey, guess what, guys? Do you know how she got pregnant? Unless maybe she did it in vitro or something. But there was a penis here, right? In conception. <laughs> and there's a penis growing inside here in pregnancy. So I feel very strongly that the masculine is connected with the feminine and that we need to talk about it. <laughs> I love you. I agree. <laughs> I know. I agree. But yeah, it's like you said, I hate it that that makes us crazy according to so many people. I mean, that's what just absolutely sucks. You know, like, yeah. I could have written my dissertation on any topic and I chose circumcision. You know well, what? it just it, it speaks to the state of disempowerment of, of 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 individuals to you know what I mean where we're so easily in a state where we want to externalize authority or we feel like we have no authority over over certain issues. You know I mean to me, a lot of the conversation seems very closely tied also to to to, to the vaccine issue as well. You know what I mean? Like, oh, the mother's just gone through a thirty-hour labor, then all of a sudden, just nonchalantly, oh, should we just give them the Hep B vaccine now? You know what I mean? With it, without even a informed consent, no conversation know nothing whatsoever but all of a sudden you know oh yeah the doctor knows what's right i don't need to look look, look into that too deeply and we just give up authority so easily but you know, I mean to me this is a, this comes down to self self-responsibility as well obviously yeah yeah yes. the other the other thing too is the fact that it's done behind closed doors and hidden and parents the parent, like if parents, if part of it was parents went into the back room and witnessed it, I guarantee this thing would not be where it is today. Can we talk about that? What is like, how does the procedure actually take place? Oh, how the procedure takes place is just awful. Um, there's different, um, there's like a gomco clamp and they're just these really sterile, metal, cold, like things that you wouldn't want near a baby. When a baby is born, you know, you think naturally you want to count their fingers. Oh, they have 10 fingers I, and 10 toes. I've seen like pictures and they seem like, you know, when you, when there's those like random museums in some town, like the medieval torture museum or something, I feel like it's something that could be in in one of those museums like the, the device the way it looks like you said it's like this metal thing and and i didn't until you know I, I don't know several years ago is when i started going more into this and had to go through my own personal healing journey and acceptance of like this was a thing that was done to me um and i know this is sound wild but i'm gonna i'm gonna share is it. like i didn't even realize that this the line around the shaft of my penis like was the scar from my circumcision like I didn't I thought that was just 
part of my, like, I didn't even know that was from that. Like I didn't even, I couldn't even connect the two. Guys don't realize that you're not the only one. No one comes to you and says, oh, hey, by the way, you're Osimos. I chose to have the tip of your penis removed. And what I mean by that, Eurosimus, is, you know, the head of your penis, the glands, that is meant to be a mucosal membrane. Yeah. That's an internal organ. It should be very... Um, it should be like, the, the, the head of my penis should be like the inside of my mouth for yeah. those who have foreskin. Yes, it should be very soft and slick and smooth and super sensitive. It shouldn't be rubbing against your underwear all day long. No, no, we're getting keratinized and dry and, you know, like it's just, it's just wild to think. Cause again, like, isn't it like the most erogenous and sensitive area that gets removed as well for the man? So then what does that then do to their experience of intimacy, uh, of sex, et cetera, you know? I think that's such a good question. I mean, really, because if you, if you have this wound, the circumcision wound, and it was painful, it's absolutely plausible that you might want to reenact that in ways sexually in adulthood and that it could shape things about your sex life and relationships and partnership in ways that people... I mean, even my husband didn't realize this had been done to him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And listen, these are, I mean, listen, we're here for the truth. So we, we you know, we like to get into these conversations and, you know, even again, like, cause I, I've read up on this a lot because I'm so curious that like, even during the sexual act, like when you have the foreskin, part of it is like, as you're like thrusting, it's like the foreskin is acting as some kind of like, um, I don't know how to say lubricant, but <laughs> <laughs> anyways yes, it is. and it like is. as opposed to as opposed to like you know like this extra I've heard from women too so let me be real I have conversations with women friends of mine who've been with circumcised men and uncircumcised men and that there's that extra like thrusting that happens with from a circumcised man because they they need to feel the the, the pleasure they don't feel pleasure in the same way so I'm just so fascinated and curious how that impacts a sexual act, how it impacts a person, a man's relationship with themselves, with their partner. I mean, again, this is a decision that's been made that like wasn't made. Like I didn't get a chance to make this decision. And what's wild for me is that if I was born in Greece, my parents are Greek immigrants. They came to this country. If I was born in Greece, I would still be intact. Yeah. But because my parents came here and, you know, they didn't even speak English really at, probably at all or well when I was born that back then, you know, I was born in 1980, even more so there was more of that, like, you do not question the white coats. You do not question the doctors. They have the answers. So I can only imagine my parents, Greek immigrants are like, oh, the, you know, we came to America, the land of greatness of all this, like doctor knows best. So, you know, and, 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 and I remember having a conversation with my mom about this, you know, cause I, I went back, I was like, Hey, like, this is like, this is what happened to me. You know, and, and like I looked up and I actually showed her a picture of like what they put the babies in. Like it, they, it looks like, again, like I bring up the word torture, but it's like you're strapping the baby's hands in and their legs, I believe. And correct me if I'm wrong there. And then this act happens. And, you know, often like the baby may be crying and then they, they, they pass, they sometimes they pass out, which I guess from a traumatic standpoint, they're going into like complete freeze state. And you know, the doctor or the nurse, but oh, they went, they fell asleep. 
you know, something I've, I've heard before is like the reasoning they give and you know, you're trained in trauma. So that was the biggest surprise in my research study is how each mother spoke about the doctors as if they were a predator. I was surprised mm-hmm. to hear that since ultimately if a mom has their son circumcised, they do consent. But you're awesome. Most, I want to say, I'm so sorry um, that you have this wound. Thank you. To respond to that. And I also respect you as a man saying, hey, I have this wound and I've had to look into it and deal with this because it takes a lot of strength that most men I just don't think have. And I think it is part of the problem as far as why we're silenced and suppressed to such a great degree. Because men, we're not raising men in this culture. I mean, I'm raising my boys this way. But to say, oh, like, hey, you hurt me. And this is how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because again, there's that the idea as a man, like, oh, you can't show weakness. You know, you can't, you can't honor your vulnerability or you can't even just stand up and say, hey, this is a thing that happened to me. You know what I mean? Like, and, and when I first really, like I started doing research on this a while ago, but I think it was maybe a few years ago where it really landed for me. And I went through a process of like, it was several months where it was I, like even being intimate with my wife, like that was in my head. And, and, and any, any male, male can say that if your head isn't on right, like things aren't, might not operate well down there. So it was like, I just kept thinking about this thing that happened to me when I was in an unconscious state and I, it was hard for me to be present and even connected to the intimate act. You know, I, I did like take time to like really just sit with it and, and process it in my own way. But I, I had so much anger around it, you know, especially someone who's into health and is into, you know, standing up to authority and seeking the truth. I was just like, can't believe this fucking thing happened to me, you know? And like, you know, someone who is like Greek and passionate and sensual and sexual is like, wait, you took away what percentage of my erogenous or sensitivity down there? Like it really like, and I mean, it still pisses me off, but I've, I've come to a place of acceptance. Like it's what happened to me. It's part of who I am. It's, it's led me down the rabbit holes I've led, led, led me to. It's maybe played a role in me being so into the things that I'm into. So I'm not going to, I don't want to regret yeah, it wasn't ideal. I wish it didn't happen, but I'm who I am. And, and I'm grateful for the experiences that led me to who I am. But, but it's something that people don't talk about. And I remember when that documentary came out and I was, I had been doing research for a bit and I really, I wanted people to start waking up to this issue. And I was posting about it all the time. And I remember like just some responses, like, yo, like I'm fine. I have no problem. The ladies have no problem with it. You know, it's like not even willing to accept that this is a thing that happens that we, it happened when you're unconscious and, and people go, cause wasn't it, um, wasn't it until the eighties that the, the ruling medical paradigm was that babies didn't even feel pain. Like that, they, that's what they said. Like, Oh, babies don't feel pain. Yeah. I think it was the eighties that they realized, Oh, uh Oh, they do feel pain. Yeah. Which that's was mind blowing to me. You know, my, yeah, my doctors would say for years that babies don't feel pain. And that people were blindly following the white coats, as you said. Yeah. It's, <sighs> it's, it's, it's mind boggling that that was even a thing like 40 years ago. We, we think a human being doesn't feel pain because of their age. Like, Well, and even now, now we, we've learned so much more about the trauma and like how things like even the, the mother's psychology and, and, and 
and, and what her mental state is during the nine months impact can impact the fetus can impact the baby, like their stress levels, like everything happens. It's not just like, oh, okay, well, they're like three days old. Like they're not, they're, they're not going to feel pain. They're not going to remember this. And we know the body remembers the body, the body holds on to this stuff. Remembers. Yeah. What I don't understand, even like from the religious perspective, like if you're coming from a place of godliness, you know what I mean? Why, how, how can you, how do you, how do you not contradict yourself when you think that God created a man with the part that needs to be removed, you know? It's so true. Um, one of the mothers in my research study was Jewish and she did not choose circumcision. And it was so difficult for her because even though in the end she knew she wasn't going to do it, it was so painful for her to not follow this family tradition. I mean, she loved what Judaism brought to her life. Mm -hmm. And the fact that she was doing something different, it, it was probably the only argument she ever had with her father. Her father could not understand why she would not do this ritualistic act of um, love, really, and connection. And there is a book called, I think it's Brit Shalom. It's by Lisa Braver Moss, but she demonstrates all these wonderful ways to hold a symbolic circumcision or a symbolic bris. And it's, it's beautiful. Like it can be symbolically expressed by cutting a pomegranate or, um, really, really anything. But um, the, the religious part is the toughest, I think, because they do not want to question it and have a conversation about it. It's just a given. And I'll tell you what, I had a somatic experiencing training through the Trauma Institute. And one of my um, teachers through that whole thing told me straight up that circumcision is not a trauma because it is connected to religion and that kind of lineage. Well, so check this out. This is really interesting that you say that because, you know, uh, my wife and I went through up until the, the advanced level, like we went through the program as well. And I remember like, I kept asking people, I was like, do you know anyone that works specifically with this? Or like, why don't you, why isn't anyone talking about this in the, in the training? Like no one brings up circumcision specifically in the training like as part of like the syllabus. And I, I just like, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. So the fact that I hear this, I go, oh, that, that doesn't surprise me. It really bothered me because, you know, one of those modules is focused on birth trauma mm -hmm. and circumcision isn't even listed. Yeah, or surgeries. Like, so you have birth trauma and then just surgical trauma. So it's not even listed in either one of them. Yeah, it really bothered me because circumcision is so common. It's happening to at least, you know, probably 50% of babies. Yeah. And it gets overlooked. It's just, it's stuck in the collective unconscious, you know? And so what, do we, what do we do about it? What do we do about we it? Talk, okay, first of all, we talk about it like we're doing right now. Start the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think talking about it, but you know, so I'm struggling with one thing though, because mm -hmm. I am straight up in an intactivist. Like I, if I can save a baby, that is definitely something I want to do. 
But you guys, all the circumcision literature and everything, it's always trying to convince you to either do it or not to do it. So I think presenting it in the most neutral way possible is helpful and letting people decide for themselves. Because once you see it and how horrific it is, like there's just no way you would choose it. But like all this shaming stuff that's in the culture of how could you? Yeah. That, that's where things yeah. go awry. Yeah. Well, because you're not you're not grounded in your conversation, you know, and it's just like people yelling and screaming at each other instead of asking questions like, hey, like, I'm curious why you why you chose to do that. And, oh, hey, did you know that X, Y and Z is a thing? And, you know, it's it's difficult to get two human beings that, that are on different ends of the spectrum to come together to hear each other out and to hold space for one another and then, you know, see what happens. I mean, that doesn't it, it's it's rare. It's rare. But like you said, at the end of the day it comes down to information, you yeah. know, and, and can we present it in a certain way where it's not like someone probably just goes, Oh, where'd you get that from? That's a conspiracy, you know, but there's, there's medical literature that talk about, you know, the, the potential or the dangers and the impact of circumcision. Absolutely. Well, and I also struggle if someone tells me I'm pregnant with a boy, the first thing in my head is <gasps> I hope they research circumcision. I mean, yeah. just if I'm being honest, this is how I feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I've, t- I've spoken to women who are pregnant and they've said to me, and I'm curious if this came up in your research, they go, oh, thank- they're pregnant with a female, with a girl. And they go, oh, thank God I don't have to make that decision. Or I don't even have to broach that topic. I prayed and prayed to be pregnant with a girl. So I would not have to deal with the topic. Yeah. And of course, I got a boy. And I did not choose this topic. This topic chose me and I just chose to respond. Like it's become a soul's calling, honestly. But um, that's the thing, you know, you get pregnant with a boy. This is a topic. You're either going to deal with it now or you're going to deal with it in six months, nine months, next year and 10 years, 20 years. But you're going to have to deal with this topic. Just having the circumcision done and not looking that's not going to be your way of not dealing with the topic. Then that topic is just going to haunt you. So if we were to, okay, have a grounded, rational conversation about it, are there any perceived benefits, health or otherwise of circumcising a boy? No, there's not. Yeah. So, Uh, you know, the one study that shows that it can lower rates of um, penile cancer yeah um that's one study (laughs) yeah um many doctors would not look at that study like people that understand the the full thing it's a small sample group and yeah the american association of pediatrics has changed their stance back and forth so many times Mm -hmm. throughout the years same thing with insurance companies sometimes they're covering it sometimes they're not um yeah, the fact that one study shows that there may be some perceived benefits is definitely not enough to put your, you, you, that can't be the Yeah, that can't be the reason why. Yeah, and then it's like, well, what did the study, what, like, tell me how the study was done, who's funding the study, et cetera. So many questions, you know, but people will latch on to the one thing to rationalize and justify why something should be done. And it's not looked at from a holistic standpoint where you're taking in different views and thoughts from different people, you know? 
Well, I mean, yeah. if you were to look at it from a balance of scales, like you'll have one feather on one side and, you know I mean, a, a mountain on, 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 on the other side, really. And, you know, I think this conversation is helping me even right now in this moment, because there's people that are going to choose circumcision no matter what, no mm -hmm. matter what study they read, no matter what fact we show them that the circumcision creates trauma, it's the baby can't consent. The mother's not in a place to consent. It hurts their sex life. No matter what, they're going to choose it. And there's those people. So I think just by having the conversation, it will help that next child or that next boy learn what happened to him. Yeah. Yeah. They don't, these kids don't even know. My son, Max, makes jokes about a circumciser. Like, he, if he's creating a weapon, he calls it a circumciser. Oh, yeah. and, and he'll say like, oh, mom, I said that word in front of a friend and he didn't know what it was. He didn't. And he goes, mom, I wonder if that's because he got circumcised and his parents didn't explain it to him. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't think, I mean, I, I don't think people talk about this. Like you said, like my parents like weren't telling me in, in, in Greek, like, oh, by the way, if you were born uh, across the Atlantic, that this thing wouldn't have happened to you. It was just like, okay, it's a thing that's done. And then, okay, let's start life. Let's just go on with life. And this is what's going on. And, and the other thing is they don't, people don't talk about, you know, the accidents that happen, you know, like men and, and boys that are dealing with like a mutilated, like, obviously it's, genetic uh, general mutilation but beyond that where it totally impacts them or they've done the the surgery in like an incompetent way you know that impacts them severely i had an amazing family vacation to mexico one year and right before that trip i had read an article about a boy whose whole entire penis was cut off on yep. accident during a circumcision and like rolling across the floor in the doctor's office and it, this, it haunted me through this whole trip. I, I mean, like I even have flashbacks of how that affected me. I, I think as a mom, because I've always felt my job is to protect my children, that when I hear of babies getting hurt, it just, it hurts me on the next level of hurt. And it kind of like almost ruined a vacation just, because I, I kept trying to tell myself, that's not happening right now. No one is getting circumcised right now. I'm on a vacation. That was a story I read. Hopefully that boy has support to work through his healing. But it just, studying this topic has actually been kind of awful in that way because there's, a, there's just a whole, whole lot of these types of stories out there. Yeah, and again, like, it's just, again, it goes to the thing where people don't want to talk about this. So they want to push things under the rug. I mean, even this, conversation like there might be people who like don't want to listen to this podcast or may judge it because of this subject or or whatever the case may be because it's it hits too close to home um Yerasimus, there's a lot of people that won't listen to this because they don't want to hear about it and they don't want to think about it and maybe they don't have the capacity to yeah you know yeah no i hear you so what like um what what other can you talk about your research a little bit because your research was focused on looking at it from the mother's standpoint so can oh, you talk yeah. about like some of the 
the conclusions that you came to and maybe talk about your dissertation and your research. Cause you know, we can talk, we can talk about this other stuff like on and on and on. And there's probably other podcasts or books, but like, I really want to get into like the uniqueness of your research and the, what you've, you've added to the literature with what you discovered. Yeah. So I really wanted to build on the research that was out there that shows that circumcision is deeply traumatizing and affects the babies. But like Ronald Goldman said, it affects all members of society. And I just wanted to elaborate on how circumcision does affect mothers. And it was really hard for me to do that because it felt self-serving because I thought, you know, I haven't been circumcised. I didn't have to go through it. Why? It, it almost seemed narcissistic of me to talk about me. But um, one of the neat things about creating the study, and it was a series of workshops over four days where me and I think it was seven other mothers. I think it was a total of eight of us. It might have been seven. I'm just not remembering right now. But um, on the first day when we were introducing ourselves, that came up in conversation. And I said, yeah, I just want you guys to know this was really hard for me to want to focus on the mother's experience. And one of the other mothers said, yeah, you know, I almost didn't want to participate in this because you were focusing on our experience. Because as a mom, sometimes you just abandon yourself so that you can put all your energy and focus into taking care of your baby. But what we realized throughout it is that mothers matter. Our voices matter. We need to be included in this conversation. We're part of the story. Don't cut us out. And um, we each, what was really neat about doing the workshops all together. So there's different research methods I could have used. You know, I could have interviewed each mother one at a time, but I chose not to. And I'll tell you why. All of my research up to that point had been feeling very isolated, which is like everything with circumcision. It always felt very isolated and eerie and dirty and disgusting and silenced. And I just didn't want to continue that feeling. So it, we gathered in this really ritualistic, soulful way to each share our stories with each other and you know stories are the like the fabric of our lives sharing stories engaging um it was just such a beautiful process what happened with the mothers and some of the mothers had had their babies circumcised and ended up being regret moms meaning that they obviously were not happy with the decision as they realized it was the wrong thing to do and that it hurt their child but um you know, I think the biggest one that we all were talking about is that we have real problems with consent. Mm -hmm. This is not informed consent, what's happening in the hospitals. I would almost say that what's happening with when a mole circumcises the baby, that it seems more consensual, um, just because a lot of times the mother will stay now, not always. Wait, did you say when a what circumcises? Um, the Jewish tradition. Of oh, got it. M-O-H-E-L. Oh, got it. I didn't know what that was. Um, a lot of times it is a bit of a more conscious because they're 
I mean, not always though. Sometimes the mom is just drinking wine and like, oh, this is all great. And then they see the blood and the baby screaming and they're like, oh, it was a great party except for that part. But that's what it was all centered around. Or I mean, oh, so many stories. But um, the moms, every single mom had been affected relationally by circumcision. Like it affected their relationships. So in social circles, like for me, when I ask friends, oh, hey, did you think about that? People would just be like, no, and they don't want to talk about it. Um, and like you said, people think you're crazy. So it affected relationships across the board. There was always the feeling of being silenced and suppressed. There was that archetypal um, energy of mother as um, just as the mother gives life, the mother can give death and you whether you choose circumcision or not it's like you can in one little boop, you can go from being the great mother to the terrible mother and that kind of energy and the complex of no one's presenting it to you neutrally they're always pulling you hard in one direction or the other and most all of the circumcision literature is like that it's trying to portray how terrible it is or how absolutely fantastic it is when you're like you know what I just want but it's a really charged of course topic yeah supercharged yeah. there's so many elements to it you know so many elements I mean unlike really any other topic because you know we're getting so heavily into like the psychosocial factors of decision making in childbirth and your ability to see symbols like during my pregnancy and during having a boy. And when I started researching this, I was having crazy dreams. Like I was having dreams that all of my friends just radically had their breasts cut off and they were all wearing diapers on their breasts. And I would obviously look at how unnatural and strange it was to see blood in the diaper, because obviously what you would expect to see in a diaper is urine or feces. Mm -hmm. And, um, then there was this like knowing in my own head that I would eventually do that too, but I wouldn't be okay with it and I wouldn't talk about it, but I would just do it. Oh, so no. I was having all of these, I mean, I was having crazy dreams and I'm so glad I wrote them down and really looked at them because it's helped me work with my own unconscious. And then the best, best part of having all the mothers gather together is the, the portrayal of how circumcision is in the collective unconscious and how our stories mirrored each other's stories. And we just had a, I mean, I actually have the chills thinking about it because we had so many synchronistic events where, oh, you know that person, I know that person and you have angel wings tattooed on your back and so do I, and oh, you're going there. I was just there yesterday and we lived in different states all across the United States. So the fact that we had so much in common and I've become friends with these mothers, you know, they'll reach out and text and, you know, we really developed new relationships just over our willingness and honestly joy over talking about something so painful. Yeah. So what is, what's your plan now with, with this research moving forward? What are, you, what are your next steps? 
Joel, I'm excited about my next steps. So I'm going to turn my dissertation into a book. Um, nice. I really want to honor how difficult this is for mothers. So I want to do that. And I'm also working on another book. But um, I, I'm just moving. I've crossed the threshold of earning my PhD. And I'm hoping that people will hire me if um, they want me to come speak to them about trauma healing or circumcision or emotional intelligence or um, healthy communication. You know, yeah. I, have, um, I have a lot to offer in those areas. Yeah, absolutely. So let me ask you, like, for anyone, for any, I guess, male listening that has been circumcised, how does, the, who's waking up to this, how does the path to healing begin for that individual? What, what, what would be your personal recommendations? Oh, that's beautiful. Well, a lot of what Eurasimus was talking about that he went through, you know, just bringing the reality into consciousness, that's the first step. Mm -hmm. Having empathy and compassion for yourself, for the experience that you went through. The ability to communicate with your partner and say, hey, I'm, I'm struggling with this right now. I'm having a hard time. This is affecting me. And for the partner to hopefully be able to receive that. But if they can't, to know that there are people that understand, like the three of us. And I mean, that's just the very beginning. You know, that's the tip of the ice, iceberg. But, um, you know, there is foreskin restoration. There's ways to increase sensation. And it's like um, such a process. It's like a daily process for years, right? It's such a process. Yeah. I know people have done it and been thrilled, but I think the commitment has to be really high. And obviously I haven't done it. So yeah, no, the details. <laughs> I don't know if I have the patience for it. You know, my Gemini nature, I'm like, okay, this is, I can't, I can't do it every day and the whole process, you know, so what, what's like, I mean, what's, what's that entail? Like another, someone else's foreskin? Am I? No, no. I think it's oh. like a process of like weighing, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I've read a website once or a couple of times and I looked into it and it's like something to do with weights that you like, that you like connect or strap on and it, it slowly over time stretches the foreskin, stretches or stretches the, the shaft and creates more skin. Is that correct? Yeah, it stretches the skin out. And I, I think that more skin can actually kind of, um, I don't want to use the word grow but it can definitely begin to cover the head of the penis. Okay. And there's a man named Ron Lowe, who um, I think he's very easy to get a hold of and he can answer questions like, you know, like that. But you also asked like what else you can do mm -hmm. as far as healing. And as a somatic experiencing practitioner, if, like if you're a guy that's having a hard time with this right now and you're watching this podcast and you're feeling triggered, I would just say right now in this moment, notice what you feel in your body. And whatever you're noticing that feels uncomfortable, just really stay with it. Are you guys noticing anything right now, Eurasimus? Yeah, I mean, I definitely feel a little bit, I mean, of course, this is a subject that I've talked about or exposed myself to for a while, but there is like this remembering again and, I, and I'm feeling a little bit of like a slight buzziness like in my body. Yeah, so notice that slight buzziness. Yeah. A little sadness, like a little, like there's a little bit of a sadness that's coming to my eyes that I feel. 
you know? Yeah, and just letting the sadness come to your eyes. Yeah. Yeah, it's just sad, you know, that this is a thing that happened. Like, this is the way I look at it. Like, I just, yeah, it's just sad, you know? It really is sad. I'm so grateful to you that you're able to share that. Yeah, thank you. I'm curious what's happening with the buzziness that you're feeling. Um, I think it softened, you know, it was real subtle. I think yeah. once, I think kind of a, the like the watery the wateriness in the eyes kind of took um took over i guess you know like in terms of a sensation like primary sensation that was it yeah so for people that don't understand that titration that you just went through just a little titration can actually be a release of some trauma energy when you feel something uncomfortable a lot of times it's in our nature to ignore it or distract ourselves from it but when you stay with it sometimes the sensation will soften like what just happened for you yeah yeah giving your nervous system a little bit more regulation and you hit the nail on the head there where it's like you know in this regard I think people are doing the best they can you know I don't really love that phrase but in this regard like a person's going to regulate themselves however they can, you know, they're going to distract themselves. They're going to try to like deal with whatever's coming up, you know? And, and even just like, like for me, it's easy for you to say, Oh, just stay with it. Oh, okay. I'm pretty good. At, I could sit with most emotions, you know, but for a lot of people, like it's so far into them because unconsciously they're on to the next thing they're swiping they're they're, they're, they're you know, they're going to call up their friend. They're going to, you know, watch pornography. They're going to drink alcohol. They're going to smoke a cigarette. And so like, you know, one thing I do and I, I, I talk about with even clients in the past is like, before you go to that thing, can you even just for a little bit, can you sit with the sensation? You, you know, can you, can you create a little bit of space just to, and then see, and just see what happens. Yeah. You know? Curious about it. Exploratory yeah. orientation, right? You know, we don't have to figure it out. We don't have to have answers, but anytime our body goes through a trauma, we have these adaptive protective responses and like that buzziness. Yeah. And that buzziness can sometimes even be, I know that there's a lot there, but it can oftentimes be connected with overwhelm and overwhelm is a, it's a trauma response. So to be with it until it softens mm -hmm. is um, very beneficial. Yeah. There's times too, where I feel like I, I could sense myself going into freeze where I'm kind of like, I, I check out, you know, and it's so subtle, but it's like almost like a, a glazing over of the eyes where it's just like, all right, I'm not here. And it's like in this moment, you know, especially when a certain thing maybe gets uncomfortable or, you know. The freeze response just kills me because I feel like I had to go through it so much of my research. Every time I was having a really hard time with it, I would feel really frozen and it was the hardest for me to break through it. But, um, you know, this research brought up a lot for me. Yeah. It's not necessarily related to circumcision. 
And I would go through periods of time for months where I couldn't really touch the literature or my paper or whatever. I mean, just even the way boys and men are silenced and they don't feel like they can share what happened to them. And then there's these stories of um, men as adults telling their mom, like, hey, just so you know, that really, really hurt me. And I'm still, I'm still dealing with the pain. And sometimes the mom's response is, yeah, cry me a river. Yeah, I did what the doctor told me. Like, what are you bitching about? You know? And then I hear these other stories um, where uh, like a man goes, oh, I still feel my circumcision wound. And my mom apologized because she really thought it was the best choice. And she's so sad now. And then there's just so much healing in those types of conversations. Well, there's an acknowledgement and acceptance there too. Yeah, like obviously what's done is done in that regards. And so like just to even to be seen and to be held in that, like, I mean, this is just a general, I feel like a uh, piece of advice in, in relationship, you yeah. know, when one person is like, well, this is my experience. And then another person can be there and hold space for it and understand it. And you know, whereas for many parents um, or just individuals in general, but just staying on this subject is the vulnerability. I think this is why this is so charged and why other issues, even like the, the, the vaccine issue is so charged is that the vulnerability, and I say this as someone who's not a parent, so I'm speaking hypothetical, um, the vulnerability of, of, of being able to sit with this feeling that I may have done something to, to hurt my child is so strong and so deep that unless you have this the, the fortitude, you know, or like the nervous system to hold space for it, it's very it's very difficult. And so you'll deflect, you'll dismiss, you'll judge, you'll go into like a more of a attack mode, you know, like like you just said about the one parent who was just like, oh, cry me a river. I did. You know, I, it's also that parent. I did everything I can for you. What does that matter? The, you know what I mean? Like the, mar- the, mar- the martyr that the comes martyr, in yeah. too. Yeah. How can you, you know? blame me for anything? And there's also the subject object theory. I'm the parent and you are the object with no rights to feelings or um, like you, you didn't have a right to consent. That was my right. Yeah. But I have to say what you were just saying, Yerasimus, this also reminds me of sexual assault. This reminds me of um, when someone is raped and they don't feel like they can talk about it. You yeah. know, a lot of things here are rem- reminiscent of that silencing and that that shame that you have feelings about it. And maybe there's something that you actually liked about it. And that brings more shame. You know, it's, again, it's just very loaded and layered and complex. Mm. Yeah. And uh, most people don't want to get into these loaded, layered and complex topics that have nuance to them. Because again, it's like, unless you can deal with and navigate the nuance within your own psyche, you know, and where you have this expanded consciousness and you know, like Walt Whitman says, we contain multitudes and like we're, we're complex. Like if you can't do that within yourself, how can you hold that space for another? How can you, how can you, going back to what we said before, how can we have a rational conversation that can hold like the tension of opposites? You know what I'm saying? Like, if you can't do it within yourself, it's going to be very difficult to hold it for another. Yeah, Mm. and this is the divine masculine. This is the divine feminine to expect us to silence and suppress part of ourselves. We're already teaching our kids to do that. 
you know, what we model is what patterns are created. Yeah. I just feel like I need to state for the record that I am intact just for the, the, <gasps> the, the purpose of the, of the conversation and for anyone oh listening. Joel, you are so lucky. <laughs> Despite being, I was I was raised as a Jehovah's Witness actually, but it's not in the Jehovah's Witness um, paradigm. I mean, not that I subscribe to that, but I mean, it's definitely it definitely comes in in, in other Christian d- denominations. I'm sure. Um, I think I had some friends growing up who made fun of me because I still had my helmet on. Um, but yeah, <laughs> your helmet. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, this is another thing too. It's like you like we got a. I don't. I mean, it's a serious subject, but again, like you know you got to laugh about things sometimes, you know, life. Definitely. You do have to laugh about things. It's just, it's unfortunate that there, the penis has always been a joke. Do you yeah. guys know yep. the first time I heard the name penis? I think I was a teenager. People I, laugh all the time. I mean, even in this episode, we probably have a few smirks that come up. You were Girls talking about silky, silky smooth. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm talking point. about how like the, the foreskin has <laughs> intercourse and like, like we're all, we all turn into like 13, 14 year olds. Like when the topic of like sex and penises and vaginas come up, it's like, it's kind of hilarious. I thought I hit the mute button more than once. Yeah. And I even feel myself censoring myself because I'm thinking about sex and like, I honestly feel like too much skin is getting taken off of these guys, you yeah. know? Yeah, I no. So obviously yeah. I've had sex with someone to have an opinion about it but man if I were a guy I'd be screaming this from the rooftops yeah no I mean I I did for a little bit and especially in my individual conversations I just kind of moved away from it because it's not my main my main focus but I'm happy we're having this this episode because I want to bring more of a focus to this issue because um I don't know like our audience like how many people get into it it's not like, it's not something that's like a main element of like the, the truth movement. You know, people aren't always just talking about circumcision. You know, there's other subjects that take precedence. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I, I think that was actually a problem for me when I did this as my dissertation topic. I even had someone who was a therapist and someone I respect say, why would you do that? There's just such bigger, more important things. Yeah, right. Like hearing you say that, like, it, it triggers, like, it triggers me. Like, I'm like, are you, now again, I'm not to this point where I'm so reactive and going and going conscious, but I'm like, there's that part of me that's like, fuck you, you me know? Too. Yeah, like, there's that part of me and I still, and I care about this person and I'm in my head, I still feel that fuck you. Yeah, because again, you can still, like, this is the thing that we're missing in our society and our culture. Like, I don't agree with you and I can still care about you. Yep. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, so speaking, speaking of all that, how, what are some basic steps that one can take to enhance their emotional intelligence or to develop more emotional intelligence, to be able to increase their threshold, to hold space for one another and have these kinds of conversations within partnerships and friendships and whatnot. Good question, Joel. I love your question. So I would say really listening to understand and not listening to respond. And the way that we do that is through mirroring. So if someone comes to you and shares something and you really, maybe you don't agree with them at all, but you want to show them that you're there for you. Some people will teach you to say, I see you, I hear you, but I would say you got to take that to the next level. So if I came to you and said, Joel, 
I don't like the way you talked to me this morning. And maybe you think you talked to me so nice. You can just respond. Elizabeth, you don't like the way I talked to you this morning. So you just mirror. Mm -hmm. And then that just gives me the ability to breathe and feel heard. And then you can also explain, but you know, people just get so defensive. That's the problem. So like if someone says to you, I don't want to talk about circumcision, you can just mirror that. You don't want to talk about circumcision. And by mirroring, what that does is it gives them the opportunity to self-correct. They can say, you know what? I don't want to talk about it right now, but you matter to me. So maybe in a few days when I feel a little calmer, then we could talk about it then. Mm -hmm. So that's the beauty of mirroring. Because there's an acceptance in that. There's an honoring as opposed to then like a person responding like, I didn't make, I didn't talk to you that way. What are you talking about? Like Joel, I don't, what are you talking? You're crazy. <laughs> yeah. You can't have emotional intimacy and connection and defensiveness. We've got to we've got to put that defensiveness stuff to the side. I can definitely I can definitely be defensive and self righteous and the rest of it. I can also see myself coming across as quite patronizing if I tried to mirror someone. You didn't like the way I talked to you today. <laughs> well, because again, it's also it's, all, it's, it's it's not what you say; it's how you say it. Exactly. And again, that's that's part of the being able to hold the space because if someone says something you don't like, like you could ask my wife. Like I'm defensiveness is one of my things, one of my go tos. You know. Which again, shit, who knows? Maybe circumcision could be one of the things that impacts that as well, because it's like, you're literally defenseless. So who knows? I just threw that out there. I don't know if the research shows that like, that like people who've been circumcised are more reactive or more emotional, more defensive because, you know, something's done to you in, in, in this completely defenseless state. So maybe your nervous system's on guard. So and we don't have a study showing that, but what we do know is that when we have trauma, that it closes our window of capacity, that we have less capacity. So I'm going to give you a few more tips for Mm -hmm. having emotional intelligence. Pun intended, pun intended. Okay, right. No no accusations, no blaming, no judging, no demands, no commands. And this last one is funny, no questions. No questions. Yeah. When you're trying to have an emotional, emotionally intelligent conversation, instead of saying, why is this a problem? You could say, I'd like to understand why this is a problem. I would like for you to tell me why this is a problem. But when you ask a question, do you know what you're doing is you're trapping that person. Questions Mm -hmm. are traps. Attorneys use questions. So like asking directly instead of why is this a problem? I, I would. Are you saying it's preferable to say, I would like you to tell me why is this a problem? But I would put even more focus on yourself and say, I'd like to understand why. Yeah. For my under, for my understanding, not because, not because it's accusatory. It's because yeah, it's in my self-interest to understand you as opposed to judgment being there. Yeah. 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 And it just opens up this beautiful opportunity for connection. When we're defensive, we don't have connection. No. Yeah. And it's so hard to hear another person because you're in this defensive, self-righteous kind of place and there's no space, you know, there's no space for it. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of using this in my approach to circumcision. I'm kind of saying to people, hey, I'm available if you would like to talk about circumcision or if you would like to learn about it. I'm saying this to women that are pregnant with boys. Um, 
the, the questions just make people feel on guard. Have you looked into circumcision? Because I can guarantee you that happened. I mean, mm -hmm. if we're being real. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm super glad that we have this podcast now as a resource also to be able to, to share and maybe help people, you mean, get some skin yeah. in the game, get, get, get some skin in the game. Oh, man. <laughs> no matter how you slice it. Oh, no. <laughs> you know what? This is what I love. I love both of you for this reason, you know, that, that like the humor can be there and it's life you know yeah well we're just at the tip of the iceberg here. <laughs> <laughs> elizabeth, elizabeth thank you so much i know we yeah. can keep talking on but thank you so much for joining us thank you so much for your work thank you so much for highlighting the mother's experience on all this um can you can you tell people how to get in touch with you i mean we'll have all your information in the show notes but if like I'm assuming like obviously you're a somatic experiencing practitioner and, and, and you got your PhD and you've done your dissertation on this subject that like there is a lot of trauma and, and, and resolution of it that needs to occur around this subject because you're, you've, highlighted, you've, you've highlighted a piece that maybe has been missing. And uh, I would love for our audience, anyone that's found interest in this to- Was that intentional? What? Was that intentional? No, what did I say? You've highlighted a piece that may be missing. No, no, it, it probably had <laughs> it's unconscious, man. No, I did it. I did it. But it was just continuing, it's continuing the flow. I know we regressed to 14 year olds. Um, but yeah, let us tell our audience how to get in touch with you and all that good stuff. Yeah. If you want to find me on Instagram, it's Elizabeth Perry, PhD, um, questions support, um, circumcision counseling. You can email me at elizabethperryphd at gmail. And I'm, I'm here, you know. Well, thank you for being here. Love it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for being here for the truth. Thanks for your good work, guys. Um, and honestly, this opened up my heart. I feel like um, my study had already impacted me in such a big way as mothers were able to lend their hearts and voices, but now speaking about this with two men, one intact and one not, I, you know, I think each of us, each of the three of us has like such a very different perspective mm -hmm. and that it came together really beautifully. So thanks for that. Cool. Absolute pleasure. Guys, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time. Take okay, care. thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Smoke and mirrors, I'm seeing through the illusion. Waking up in a the time, they think you're in a delusion. Somebody set the alarms, cause they be too busy snoozing. I'm in a DeLorean.